Well, good morning, everyone. Um, what a great reflection we were left with at that last song and what uh, our Lord has given to us. And it moves us to a point of gratitude, does it not? Uh, how can we say thanks? We uh, went there a little bit last weekend with our Good Friday and Easter services to try to articulate something of our gratitude, something of our heartfelt thanks. And, of course, words fail us uh, because the gift that God has given us in Christ is so great. As we further reflect on the gift that is Christ, uh, we're raising the question today and hoping to answer it. Why is it that Jesus did die? Why did he need to die? And we're going to be uh, looking for some answers in Romans chapter 3. So let me encourage you to get your Bible, turn over into the New Testament, find the book of Romans, and we will be looking at chapter 3 in just a moment. But when uh, we raise the question, why did Jesus have to die? And someone says, well, he had to die so that we could be forgiven. And then that raises the question, well, why is that necessary for my forgiveness? I forgive people all the time and I don't have to die to do it. You forgive people all the time. You don't have to die to do it. Some of us have been wounded and wronged severely and profoundly. Some of us have sought counsel and spent a good bit of life work trying to understand things that happened to us and moved to a point where we could forgive. But we didn't have to die in order to forgive. Why did Jesus have to die? And if you've been around church for a while, you're ready to give me a church answer. Well, Jesus had to die to pay the price that was exacted on our sins. And thank you for that church answer. But I want to encourage you to press down just a little bit deeper on that today. And if you're not a church person, and if you're not a Christ follower yet, you're just still trying to figure out some of those things, then what I'm going to be talking with you about over these next few moments is extremely and eternally important. And I hope you'll stay with us. Because if, in fact, Jesus had to die to pay a price for our sins so that we could be forgiven, then what kind of God comes up with a system where his son has to die for the sins of others? I mean, he is God, right? He can do anything he wants to do. So what's this, my son must die thing? I heard the story not too long ago about a young couple that uh, went to the hospital to have their first child. And the doctor that was uh, on call and attending to them and whatever he had been doing before he showed up, he'd had a couple of drinks. And in the process of delivering the child, he dropped the child on his head. Severe brain damage came from that momentary flash of an experience. And that couple spent the next 20 something years with dashed hopes and dreams, raising this child with all the love and, and all the giving of themselves that that would require until uh, when the child was 20 something, he passed away. And that couple were able to come to a point where they forgave 
that doctor. Now, if they can come to a point of forgiveness for something so exacting out of their life, so horrendous for their lives as what happened to their child, how is it that God has some kind of system where in order for him to forgive, Jesus has to die? We are looking at Romans chapter 3 for an answer. So let me encourage you to find verse 21 and begin to read with me. We'll look at the verses and then we'll come back and and begin to unpack them a little bit one at a time. So in chapter 3, verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets... Bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, if you're like me at all and you read a paragraph like that, you go, what? And, and, and maybe if you've looked at it twice, you say twice. What? Uh, because that is just so packed with important points and theological ideas. And so keep your Bible open. Keep uh, making reference to the verses that I'm going to be referring to as we unpack some of this. And so Paul begins uh, his comments by talking about... Um, the righteousness of God and the righteousness that is necessary for me and for you. God, as our creator, has created this world and all therein. He has created you, has created me, and he has done so with a standard called righteousness. What in the world does that biblical word righteousness mean? Let's just think about it this way, a right standing with God. So however God is, whoever God is, that we can have a right standing with him. And the point is, is that every religion in the world tries to have this right standing with God by keeping some set of rules, by taking some number of steps, by climbing some number of rungs on a ladder in order to try to satisfy some deity. And Paul says, here's the good news. Uh, No more rule keeping for righteousness. No more rule keeping in order to have a right standing with God. That's the good news. The bad news is that you're pretty unrighteous. The bad news is that you have a very bad standing with God. And so there's this large gap between his righteousness and and your or our lack of righteousness. And if it's not going to be, uh, that gap is not going to be bridged by our keeping a certain number of rules, then how does that happen? He says, 
the reality is that we've all not just come a little short of God's standard and God's righteousness. We're not just a little in bad standing with God. We are a lot. He says everyone. Think about the goodest person you've ever known. Everyone, including that person, has missed the mark. And it's a picture that comes from uh, you, know, you being in some kind of archery tournament. Imagine that in this archery tournament, in order to win, in order to have a right standing, you had to hit four bullseyes with four arrows. All right, got the picture? And so let's imagine that you draw and you shoot the first one and the first one falls short. It makes no difference what happens with the next three arrows. You could hit the bullseye the next three times, but you didn't hit it the first time. And so this sense of having missed the mark is both a past tense sense as well as a present tense reality. You may have missed the mark one time, some point in your life in times past. You may have been perfect ever since then. Paul says it makes no difference. Once you miss the standard, at whatever point you've missed the standard, you've missed the mark, you are in bad standing with God, you are unrighteous, and there is no rule keeping that can do anything about that. So that's kind of the good news, bad news mixed. But to get back to the uh, good news, he says, for those of us that have missed the mark, God has a plan. God has done something about that. God will justify us. Another big theological word that is important for you to have some understanding about. To be justified means that you have been made righteous. You have been made in right standing with God. Now, most of you... uh, you know, mess around with a little software and maybe you use Word or something like that. And you have a, a button that you can hit to justify your paragraph. You know, and you've got all these lines that are at different links, but you hit the justification button. Boom. It's got perfect margins on both sides. That's what he's talking about with your life. Boom. To hit it in such a way that it's in right standing with God in every way, in every sense. And that can't happen. It never will happen by rule keeping, by being good enough. It only happens as a free gift. You see that in the text? That he has justified you as a gift. Now, how incredible is that? Now, if you have ever been the recipient of a gift then you know what it means to have a free gift, right? You didn't do anything to get it, to earn it, to buy it. It just was freely given to you. However, the longer you live, the more you understand the giver of the gift definitely paid something for it. You got it freely, but it ain't a free gift. Somebody paid for it, and it's the giver of the gift that that pays for it, unless he's re-gifting, and that's another whole subject for another day. Somebody paid a price for it. And in this case, Jesus pays the price so that God the Father can give you the gift 
of justification, of a right standing with him. And Paul goes on to say that the gift price, the gift cost is propitiation. You see that word in the text? Now, that, that word's only used a couple of times in the New Testament, but it's a huge word that you need to have some understanding about. And basically, it's a word that means the payment. It, it comes from a word that means the covering by blood. And when blood would cover something, that would pay for uh, whatever we were talking about in the moment. In this instance, Jesus, in the spilling of his blood, in the sacrifice of his life, in, the, in, in his death was a sin covering, a blood covering, a payment so that we could be justified. And I'm going to give you one more word and then we'll we'll try to talk about what we're talking about here, okay? And that is this. Why did all this happen? You'll say it two times in verses 25 and 26. All this happened so that God could show you something. So that he could prove something. So that he could demonstrate something. And that is that he is a just God. Now, sometimes we uh, really enjoy talking about the love of God. God's this great, loving person. Sometimes we like to talk about the generosity of God. He's a giving God, and and he, he does a lot of wonderful things for us. There's a lot of attributes. There's a lot of characteristics that we uh, like to talk about God. Sometimes we don't like talking about the just side of God. But here's the point. God, who is not only perfect, complete love, is also perfect, complete justice. And God, who has created this world according to His own will and according to His own standards will not let anything that ever happens crosswise with his standards go. He'll, he'll, he'll not just let it go. He will call for some kind of just response to everything that has ever happened in all of history. Now, what we have been seeing in the Bible, and, and Paul makes reference to this by saying, See, the law and the prophets even told you about this. Look back in verse 21, 22. The law and prophets pointed to all this. That God would forbear, Paul says. He would be patient with everyone for a while. Stuff would happen that's unjust. Stuff would happen that's unjust. Stuff would happen that's unjust. And he would be patient. He would forbear. He would extend mercy. And not just be just, just, just immediately. But there comes a time when God makes his justice known. And Paul says, when Christ went to the cross, God said, now, see, I am a just God. Sin does have a price to it. It does have to be satisfied. You see, people can sin against me and I can forgive them because I'm not pure justice. I don't require some kind of death to happen. People can sin against you and you can forgive them. And, and, you know, you don't have perfect justice either. 
So you're a mess, they're a mess. We began to cut each other some slack because we're all messes and things like that. But it's not that way with God. He's pure justice. And the cross was his demonstration, his proof, I'm a just God. See what happened to Jesus. Now, uh, he does this in a way that kind of puts spotlight on this multidimensional aspect of himself. So allow, allow me to just uh, call us into the spotlight for just a moment and think about it in terms of these three words. So from the uh, time of Genesis 3 and the fall, sin, 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 uh, shaming, defaming, abusing the name of God, uh, ridiculing, jeering, mocking, uh, disrespecting, uh, even becoming enemies to God. That's us. That's humanity. And God's not clobbering people all along the way. He's not judging and punishing and destroying or anything all along the way. So we have this huge, long period of mercy, 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 forbearance, patience. And then we have this moment in history where justice takes place. And it all happens on himself. Because he loves you so much. And he's also just. He takes the punishment and the price that should be exacted from every sinner and puts it on himself. As Jesus on the cross. As a propitiation. As a payment. As a settling of the account. So that you can be justified. Right standing with God. And there's nothing that you can do. There's no amount of rule keeping. There's no amount of goodness that you can accomplish that brings it your way. No, that's another demonstration. His grace. So we have all this period of time where by mercy, he withholds what we deserve. Then there's justice where he takes upon himself what we deserve. And then there's grace, where He gives to us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness, goodness, blessing, life. Now, I, I reflect on these things, and it, it drives me to my knees. I reflect on these things, and it causes me to worship Him. It causes me to love Him in, in greater depth. It causes me to want to serve him and to pour my life out for him. But it still also still raises the question for me. How bad was my sin? How bad is your sin? Is my sin so bad that somebody had to die? Now, I have been very careful about life for the 30-something years that I've been following Jesus. And to the best of my knowledge, and I prayed about it before I came up here today, because I, I was like, God, if there's anything else you want to remind me of, remind me of it. But to the best of my knowledge, every sin that I've ever committed against someone else has been forgiven. To the best of my knowledge, I have gone throughout these years of following Christ 
to every person I've ever sinned and ever wronged and asked for their forgiveness and done some kind of reconciliation work with them. And what's more, my sins, which are real, I'm not denying my sins at all. They're real. But they've never even so much as landed me in jail. And so on the scheme of things and across the continuum of humanity, there's certainly a lot of people that have done worse than me. And there's some people that have done way better than me. But it still stirs the question for me, has my sin, if I was able to take all my sin and put it in a bucket and look at it, is that bad enough for somebody to have to die? And here's what I have to conclude. The finiteness of my capacity to comprehend is so small compared to the greatness of God. I just can't grasp this. His holiness, His righteousness are so much higher, so far removed from me and mine, I can't comprehend that amount of distance. I just sat in a presentation this past week where um, one of the leading uh, astronomers in in the country was uh, talking about the various galaxies, millions and billions of galaxies, not stars, galaxies, and I'm looking at and pretty soon my head exploded. I'm just like, I, I can't even comprehend that. And that's just the universe. And God's over and above the universe. So sometimes my head just explodes when I try to think about his greatness, the magnitude of who he is, how holy, how righteous he is, and, and the, the distance that is between the two of us. And so I love the way that Andy Stanley describes this uh, out of his own family situation. When his, uh, well, let me say it this way. He came into the garage one day to get in his car that he had just gotten out of the shop. Somebody had scratched, you know, keyed his car, and he had just gotten out with a new paint job and uh, brought it home, sitting in the garage. He was doing some things. He went back out to get his car to go somewhere. And he looks on his hood, and there's all this scribbling, scratching kind of stuff on the hood of his car. And he's like, what is that? He was just absolutely furious. He just got it out of the shop. He just had it painted. What happened? And so he calls for his oldest son, who's about 10 at the time. And he's wanting to know, what in the world happened to my car? And his son sheepishly confessed, Allie did it which was the little sister. And she was three years old at the time. And so Andy just, you know, barking, Allie, get in here, come in here. And she comes into the garage, and he's looking at this hood, and he's got his hands on his hip and all this scratching, scribbling kind of stuff on the hood of his car. And he's thinking, I just got it out of the shop. I just paid $400 for this paint job. I just got through renting a car for two days. I just got through all this inconvenience. Now I'm going to have to do this again. So he begins to tell her, honey, Do you know what happened right here on the hood of my car? Did you scratch my car? Three-year-old Allie says, Yes, Daddy. Well, what do you do at that moment? 
Do you begin to go into your tirade? Do you know I just got that out of the shop? Do you know I just paid $400 for that? Do you know I just uh, went two days without a car and had to get a rental car and now I'm going to have to take me back and i got to do it? You can't do that with a three-year-old. And you're going to pay $400 for this, you know. <laughs> you can't do that with a three-year-old. She has absolutely no comprehension of what she has done, the magnitude of what it's going to cost her dad to fool with this whole kind of thing. And so Andy just leaves it at this. Allie, don't ever do this again, okay? Okay, Daddy. Puts her arms around his neck, gives him a big hug, and goes off and plays with a doll. I, I think, friends, that's just a little glimpse of what it's like with us and God. We just can't even comprehend, much less pay, for our sins. For our unrighteousness. And this is part of the little glimpse that we get out of some of our heroes out of the Bible. You, You take Moses, for example. I mean, this is like one of the most holy men that ever lived. He's he's the one that God entrusts with giving the law and the commandments to. And yet at one point, God's holiness begins to brush by him. And it's so overwhelming. It's so magnanimous. Moses has to kind of crawl into and cower into a little cleft of the, the hillside so that it can go by. And it still blew him away. He still comes out of it just totally white-faced and, and, and gray-haired, white-haired. And he has to veil himself because he looks so bizarre after the glory of God just passed by him. He just, just got a little glimpse. You, you go to Isaiah, who... Uh, on one occasion, when he goes into the temple to worship, Isaiah chapter 6, we talked about this often, and he encounters just a little of the holiness of God. He is so undone, he throws himself down before the Lord and he begins to yell out, I, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I've got sinful ways in my life, I'm undone. You and I look at that text and we go, Isaiah, you're not undone. You wrote like the biggest book in the Bible. This is a guy that writes the Bible. And yet when he just gets a little glimpse, a little glimpse of the holiness of God, he's undone. He's wretched. He begins to get it. I made reference to John, the apostle, last week. When later in his life he has this visionary moment that ends up being what he writes for the book of Revelation. This is a guy that knew Jesus, lived with Jesus, camped with Jesus, sat at campfires and ate fish with Jesus, was out on boats and saw walking on the water and all kinds of stuff take place. But when he begins to get a little glimpse of the glory of Christ, he falls prostrate on the ground and he trembles. Friend, my point is, We don't get the magnitude of sin, of missing the mark, of being unrighteous. And God, in His parental effort to help small children get it, says, let me show you something. And He shows us the cross. And He demonstrates, He had already shown mercy. He was about to give grace, but now he shows justice on the cross. 
and gives us a little broader means of knowing Him and understanding Him. The bad news is that there's a huge gap between God's righteousness and our righteousness. We are not in right standing with Him. The good news is He's done away with all the rule-keeping kinds of things and has sought to justify us and make us in right standing with Himself by pouring out justice on Jesus. And I wonder today, friend, if you would believe that. He says that becomes your free gift when you believe it. And believing is not just looking at the person of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the sacrificial death of Jesus, and intellectually saying, "Uh, I believe that. And believing is not just kind of of leaning on Jesus, still carrying a lot of the responsibility for rule-keeping and so on in my own life, having some whatever measure of control. Believing is fully trusting in Jesus, putting your entire life, putting your, uh, betting your entire life, your entire trust on Him. And so my question to you today is this. Would you believe? Would you trust? Would you accept Christ into your own life and commit to follow Him all the days of your life? There's a couple of steps that give evidence of the fact that you make that kind of commitment. One of those is baptism. We just did it last week. For those that that make that kind of stand and say, I'm going to count on the righteousness of Jesus, how he will justify me. Then we mark that by being baptized. Would you follow him? Would you give evidence of that with baptism? And would you commit yourself to his local expression around us called church being a participating engaged servant of Christ and brother or sister in the in the fellowship of the community these are ways that we appropriate make sense of live out this great work that Jesus has done for us let's pray together so Lord I prayed for each friend in the house today For those of us that know and follow Christ, Lord, that our gratitude would be ever deeper. For those of us that have been drawing near to you, we pray. Lord, would you, by your grace, help them cross the line of faith today to say yes to Jesus and to know the good gift that is life in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.